The guests on Love Hurts occasionally use some adult language and go into some more intense subject matter, but that's kind of how real life works anyway. This is Love Hurts. I'm Brian Berlin. Today's guest is Sunel Barnes. Sunel is a writer living in Charleston. Sunel came to the United States as a teenager after having to leave a rocky life with her parents in the Philippines behind. She looks back on that life and shares the way her parents have come in and out of her life since then and the objects they have left behind. Hey, Sunel, how's it going? It's going well. It's a balmy day here in Charleston, South Carolina. I don't know why I'm wearing a sweater, but I shouldn't be. <laughs> It's it's also that day in New York right now. It's like kind of wet. It's been raining, but it's like a, it's 50 something and it feels too warm to be that for the temperature for the date that it is right now. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for being here. I know it's been a few months since we've last seen each other, but I'm excited to have you on. And I'm excited to be here. I think it's a brilliant um, podcast and a brilliant topic to cover over and over and over again because it's one of those <laughs> topics that you can just mine and mine and mine and mine. Yeah, it's funny. I haven't run out. People haven't been like, I'm done. We're run out of stories. Like there's plenty. Uh, it's exciting. Uh, yeah, I just it's I like sharing having this podcast because it gives a lot of people a chance to share things that we don't always talk about uh, in a real way that I think people connect with. So I'm excited to hear from you. And um, yeah, what did you want to talk about today? Uh, as always, I tried not to come back to my parents, but somehow I always come back to my parents. <laughs> and when you asked me, you know, hey, do you want to be on my podcast? It's called Love Hurts. And I'm like, well, you know what hurts? <laughs> <laughs> the story of my childhood and the story of my parents who are now both um, aging, who are um I w wouldn't quite say end of life, uh, but nearing that, uh, y you know, these are two parents I haven't really lived with since I was really little. Uh, my dad I haven't lived with since I was eight, my mom since I was 12. Um, but somehow in, uh, in this phase of life, when I'm nearing middle age, um, or maybe I already am in middle age. I'm an elder, I'm an elder millennial. I'm an elder millennial. Um, minus what, two, three years of the pandemic. Um, or maybe it's a plus. I don't know. I feel like it aged. Yeah, all of us, it right? aged both all of us, but also we all froze for two years. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if it's a plus or a minus, yeah. but just think about that elder millennial plus minus pandemic years. And now, especially because I'm an Asian American daughter. Um, I am faced with choices um, regarding my both of my parents, um, you know, golden age, whatever you want to call it, um, care for them now that they can't care for themselves. And again, um, not only have I not been around them for so long, um, I also was never really cared for by them. Yeah, because you said so. You said you didn't see live with your dad since you were eight and your mom since you were twelve. So that's like a even twelve is like that's a significant amount of your childhood mm -hmm. that was not with your parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then I I was adopted at fifteen, sixteen. That's how I came to the United States. Um, so when I say parents, I mean my biological parents, my birth parents. 
and I've been reunited with my father. I am still estranged from my mother. Um, but as I think about how to care for my father now, after he's had two strokes, um, after we've received calls from social workers because he's houseless in Hawaii, you know, and after um, we've pointed fingers at each other, me and my siblings, of like who's responsible for what and who's um, saving money for what and who's setting aside time, you know, during the year or during Christmas break or summer break to take care of him. Um, I'm also thinking about my mother. Um, at the end of the day, I am her child and somehow there's still this desire in me, despite everything that she's done and that's happened between us, there's this desire in me to honor her at the end of her life, whenever that comes, and to make sure that um, her farewell to this world is not too sad, despite everything she was and everything she did. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot. And it, so it seems like you said you're estranged from her. So you're still like, because you have your siblings, you're still like aware of what's been where where her life is and what's been going on with her right now. Yes, I have a brother in London who's somewhat aware of what's going on with her. Um, but, you know, for everyone's sake, my mother is a criminal um, and she is a fugitive from the law and she is a criminal wow. many times over. Yeah. Um, and she became a criminal because uh, she, w she was she was born with like not even a silver spoon, but like a golden diamond crusted spoon in her mouth <laughs> and then lost everything um, along with my father, lost everything in the early 90s, um, late 80s, early 90s um, when the Gulf War began. All their money was in the Middle East um, and they had tens of thousands of workers um, in the Middle East, in the middle of the war, and they had to repatriate them all back to the Philippines. And for those who were not able to make it back, um, who either uh, were never found or um, died caught in the war or were just displaced and then displaced and then displaced again and were nowhere to be found, um, they had to pay settlements to their families. And then on top of that, um, my baby brother died. And then a huge monsoon also hit the Philippines and quite literally washed out our house. Um, and it was this palatial house um, at the foot of a mountain. So just all that downpour just collected um, at our house and literally washed everything out in a way. But my mother um, began her criminal life uh, soon after because she wanted to remain in that house. It was like the Biltmore estate of um, Manila and we continued to live in it even though we didn't have running water or electricity or food. Um, and wow. <laughs> yeah. So it was sort of like, I guess it was sort of like your mom or I guess your mom and your dad trying to like kind of hold on to this dream mm -hmm. that they had built up and this wealth that they had built up mm -hmm. like this this house became i guess like a symbol for them of the life that they had before they got hit with all of this misfortune exactly it was a symbol for my mom's kind of pseudo aristocratic upbringing her her lineage 
Um, she's very proud of the fact that she comes from a mestizo line, which means um, she has uh, ancestors from Spain, the colonizers. She has colonizer oh, okay. as ancestors. And for my father, the symbol for um, his kind of self-made success, how he grew up, um, he he grew up really houseless as well. Um, he lived in the with his siblings and parents lived in the uh, crawl space of a fish market in the Philippines. Wow. And never own a pair of shoes. That is why he's flat-footed, and that's why I'm flat-footed. <laughs> it's like a genetic trait. Like, wow. So, like, very different backgrounds than that different. your mom and dad had growing up. Yes, and very valid reasons for both of them to just latch onto this house and the contents of which. And while my father's response to these compounding events, these traumatic events, was to leave right? It was stay or leave, sink or swim. And his answer was, I'm going to leave and stay afloat. So he left us, me and my brother, um, with our mother at this house. And we continued to live there Grey Garden style. Yeah, that's, it sounds very Grey Gardens. Yeah. <laughs> it's very Grey Gardens. Um, Minus the scarves, it was too hot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but instead of scarves, scarves, my mother collected, you know, jewels, like big earrings, big bangles. Um, she loved silk headbands. Um, she continued to put things on some open credit line, like that is untraceable. Um, she had casts um like shoe casts for dior shoes um she she continued to amass uh okay so it wasn't so much it wasn't so much that you just stayed in this house after the all this like this stuff happened but she was still participating in her lifestyle the same way she was before despite not having any of the money to do so now correct she Continued to buy leather purses um, from Hermes. And at the same time, it was a happy day if we had spam to eat at home. <laughs> so really just putting all the money towards these things she wanted and less towards you and your brother. Yes, yes. And she continued the upkeep of the house. It was, you know, do we buy dinner or do we buy um, wax to polish the floor with, the marble floors with? And she would go with wax. Um, wow. she, it, it was, it was kind of like the only thing she had left and the yeah. only thing that kept her in her mind safe. Um, and the thing she loved, she loved much. And so do I. <laughs> well, I guess for you, like, I, you know, I don't know how much of that you remember at that time, but like. You know, you just said this, like, the thing she loved, she loved much. And it seems like, were you seeing, like, oh, my mom loves these things more than she loves me, like, at that age? Like, is that something that was, like, sitting for you then? Or, like, you had those realizations then? I, there were days when I felt, like, the the shopping, the dressing up, the decorating, it felt like something my brother and I could participate in. And we took that as something loving but very fleeting. 
but definitely we both very quickly because we we had to grow up quickly um very quickly picked up on the fact that our mother was not there to take care of us anymore and our mother had clung to this um physical construct um just things you know because she had emotionally and mentally left like she she had put on the costume of all these objects all the all these beautiful objects because she had emptied herself of everything else like she was going to combust um but yeah we we definitely knew early on i mean i remember not yet 8 years old finding ways to make money so that my brother and i would have dinner like we i have always been an illustrator um and i would draw portraits of my classmates and yet it, so it still goes back to things right i was yeah. still making products at school to sell like i would but that's um, more to like live you know you were doing that to make a living versus to survive like, yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I would, you know, Lisa Frank was a big deal, and I thought <laughs> I can make a knockoff, you know, so I would like, make these like. So you're making trapper like the folders and stuff. <laughs> yeah, that the are, like, folders <laughs> and the trapper keeper like inserts. Yeah, yeah. Um, I yeah, I would make knockoff Lisa Frank <laughs> cartoons. Um, I think Bratz dolls were starting to come to like to the scene, and um, I made caricatures of my classmates in that mode Bratz doll yeah mode. okay yeah um or like powerpuff girls or something <laughs> yeah whatever um, the hot like what, yeah was, you could just like, yeah. yeah and then for my brother it was music he made mixtapes for um people I mean he's still a DJ in London um and he also turned his van into um a taxi, an illegal taxi. <laughs> and it was known for like the cool music that he played. You know, he always had the best music, um, mostly hip hop, mostly West Coast hip hop. Um, playing yeah, so you band. both had like real art skills, but you also mm -hmm. were both becoming resourceful very quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yet again, just like our mother, who was yeah. having to be resourceful um, to a fault. And that's, that's when the criminal behavior started, you know, it was little, you know, bounce checks here and there, borrowed money here and there that was never paid back to, um, I learned the word swindle, um, before age 10. Um, I learned the word embezzle, you know, as a kid, because there was a sheriff at our door one day, um, with some kind of warrant, um, uh, because she's apparently embezzled something. <laughs> I was like, what does that mean? Um, to, you know, and that's just continued on. There were sales of luxury cars that were never ours. Um, there were my, one of the great things is that my mother can never have a passport, which means she can never follow me to the, the United States um, because she sold her original passport and then somehow fashioned fake passports after then and um, sold those too. And, you know, wow. just crafted identity after identity and then sold them. Um, 
uh, what else? She participated in gambling. Our house was filled with fighting chickens with game cocks <laughs> um, because it was an easy thing to make money through. She turned our back lot into a cockfighting arena with my stepfather. And, you know, so we had just to just imagine our house, right? Like it's crystal chandeliers. It's festive crystal and dinnerware. It's patterned, you know, calico and tartan tablecloth and marble floors covered in chicken shit. Like that was our house. Like that and then we had disco balls in random parts of the house because she thought it just made everything better. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you're like living in some like fever dream. Yes, yes, yes. And I, and I, you know, coming to the United States, I tried to shut all of that out, and all the memories didn't come back to me until I got pregnant with my daughter and. The birth of my daughter really was the impetus for me, you know, confronting my past and writing about it and writing something that would become a book called Monsoon Mansion. And her birth as well was kind of the reason why I decided to once and for all estrange myself from my mother to kind of not just have a boundary, but really a wall between us because she was going to continue to hurt me and also continue to hurt um, my would-be daughter. And that was a decision I made um, over a decade ago now. Um, but yeah, so my, my daughter's grown up without kind of a maternal grandparent, especially a maternal grandmother. And when my dad ended up temporarily living with us when he had nowhere to go um, in 2021 in the middle of the pandemic. Um, that was just like a weird time warp for all of us. Like she's asking me questions about my dad that I didn't have answers to. <laughs> yeah, probably asking about parts of his life that you just didn't know about, right? I yeah, Exactly. Or like, why is he doing that? Or, you know, he, he would have like a weird habit or leave something somewhere. I was like, I have no idea. Or, you know, he he's become a little bit of a hoarder as well. But he hoards uh, papers of, of all kinds. Like, I'll, I'll go to CVS and he'll keep like the, the, you know, one mile long CVS receipt that I will never use that he will never use. And he stashes it all in like, the six drawers I've emptied out for him, you know, for his use. Um, papers, papers, so, so many, so many papers that by the end of his stay here, we had a possum problem. Whoa. Yeah, it was, it was, it was insane. Were they just like, like burrowing like in these papers that he had, like that he had made a nest for them or like something? He, it was like he was gathering things outside in our yard and then like he was gathering leaves into a pile on our deck which was next to the door to the crawl space and i guess oh yeah okay it was just very inviting yeah he for, created an entire habitat for them yes he <laughs> created an entire habitat for them and my daughter would be like why is he doing that I was like <laughs> i honestly don't know i am learning him as you are yeah yeah you him. didn't have that experience of growing up with him to see these maybe things that existed at 
years ago that you're seeing come back again. You're like, I'm seeing this for the first time and I have nothing to tie this to. Exactly. And that is the best way I know my parents is through the objects they've amassed. Yeah. Um, Two very different piles, um, two different hordes. (laughs) All right. Just receipts and documents that don't make sense and newspapers and just periodicals of all kinds and at the same time photographs that I never knew existed of, of myself you know like people ask me like do you have childhood photos and I say no until I remember that oh my gosh my dad has photos of me somewhere that he's traveled with around the world yeah like he um, must have kept them if he's kept his CVS receipts right like they're somewhere in a pile they are. They're all in the same wallet he's had um, for decades. And that he was able to hold on to the photos helps me as a writer, as a memoirist, right? Like, I'm like, yeah. uh, what, what do you remember, like, my third birthday and blah, blah. And he's like, oh, yeah, I have a photo from that day. <laughs> and so that's that's when his hoard is useful to me. <laughs> yeah, there's something to it that you're like, oh, great, I can benefit from this in a small way. Yeah, yeah. And at the same time, it's like he's moving from, you know, offspring to offspring from like me to my brother to my sister to me. And, you know, he's he's doing the rounds of like living from one place to the other. And we have to unfortunately take some stuff away from him because he can't one physically lift. Right. He's had two strokes. Um, to none of us want it. Like as I've tried, I've really tried. Like I emptied six drawers and I said, whatever goes on in your room, I don't care about. But at the same time, it's like, there's a possum problem. (laughs) And then, yeah. Um, Well, well, and as you mentioned, there's so much, it's not just like caring for an older parent. It's like caring mm -hmm. for an older parent with all the other weight of like, not Mm -hmm. having this person in your life for a significant amount of time and Mm -hmm. and like right it's 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 there's two things happen or probably multiple things happening kind of two major things happening in that yeah and then i i think of like one time i we actually had a yelling match one of his last days uh here at our house before he transitioned to my sister's house and you know he for one, he still has these like delusions of grandeur. He still thinks that he's this big businessman who's making international deals. Um, and he still thinks he's like meeting with someone at the Mandarin Oriental Hotel's lobby, you know, or like the Peninsula Hotel somewhere in Singapore. And I'm like, no, no, you're in South Carolina and you are not talking to some South Sudanese general today, even though you think you are which sometimes I really think he is talking to someone on the phone um, and he's just like this close to being scammed yet again. Um, and you know, at the same time, it's like I'm stripping all this away from him and this is like his only knowledge of self. Like this is perhaps his only dignity and maybe it's okay. Maybe it's okay that he's amassed these things. It's like all he's had all he has left he doesn't even have us like his children you know um he doesn't even have like he doesn't have the best of us he doesn't have like 
our most joyful days. He doesn't have, like, he doesn't have those memories um, with us. But he has these things. He has these photographs. He has these, like, vestiges of, like, perhaps the happiest time of his life. And after our yelling match, I was like, why are you keeping all these things? I told you to get rid of this. There's a, there's a possum living in our house. And, you know, and, and as I'm talking, I'm realizing, I give it up to now, like the kind of thing you can do right now, because love hurts, <laughs> is to just let him, just let him, like, let him keep his things. And it's the same for my mom. Like, when the time comes, when I get that phone call that says, you know, hey, are you so-and-so's daughter? Um, you know, someone needs to lay her to rest or someone needs to identify her body or whatever it is. When the time comes um, and it is the end of her life and I have to somehow make arrangements for it, like the only way I can imagine that day is to... Oh gosh, I'm gonna cry. Um, gather my things that look a lot like the things that she loved. And I feel like she's gonna be one of those people because because of just how cruel and how criminal she's been and how much of a big fat liar um, she's always been. She's going to be one of those people um, with no one at their grave, no one at their funeral. And despite who she was and despite everything she did, I would find that really sad. And I think my best offering for her is in lieu of guests, of of visitors and funeral guests I think I will bring all the things she loved that I also love that I also have amassed <laughs> um I am quite a collector myself <laughs> and you know I I coupon and I <laughs> do credit card points and pay it on the day when I will collect the most points and be rewarded the most. <laughs> and I've, I've found my own ways of being resourceful without being criminal. Um, I knew exactly when to sell our first home and buy our second home, like all that stuff so that I can buy the silliest things like the bangles and the bottles of perfume and the big earrings and the antique armos. And ah, we're hating me right now. Probably <laughs> no, but it's me. like, but ah. it seems like you, you, you took the upbringing you had and like mm -hmm. the, the, the interaction you had with your parents and the stuff that came that you experienced through them. And you were, you were able to like, put it through a filter mm. and say like, this is how to use this for good. <laughs> like I have these things that I'm, I'm grateful that I learned from them, but I also learned how to use them in a way that is functioning. Like I can function in society yeah. with this, right? Like versus end up in a criminal, in some kind of criminal situation or just end up with six drawers full of papers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't have six drawers full of papers, but 
my husband can attest to me having six drawers full of full other, other things. things. <laughs> well, it also, other things. you know, I, I know you talked a lot about your mom and, and what it's going to be like to lose her. And it feels mm-hmm. like that is still something that seems like it has a lot of weight for you. And it must have been, you know, the fact that you had that to have to cut her off in your life 10 years ago must have been a th- like it's still something that obviously it like you still care about her and like to have to do that for your own kind of sanity and as you said maybe for your daughter's sanity like mm-hmm. just to protect yourself right and like how mm-hmm. that that must be a really hard wall to constantly maybe not constantly but always yeah. know is there right it's a wall that you have created yourself to protect yourself yeah i mean it's What makes it easy is, I'll say first what makes it easy before I talk about what makes it hard. What makes it easy is that actually the fact that she's a fugitive from the law, um, any communication with her makes me um, a criminal as well. It makes me complicit. Kind of like an accomplice. Yeah. yeah, Maybe not an accomplice, but yeah. 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 That's a better word. Um, Makes me complicit in it and I can be questioned for it. So in... Practical so sense. she's still like wanted for something like it's like if oh, she were to show up. Yes. Like she has a bounty on her. Head. Okay. Wow. And it's a pretty big bounty because she aggravated some pretty powerful people um, in the northern part of the Philippines. Okay. Which if you are aware, the dictator, former dictator's son just became president in the Philippines again. And they're from the north. Okay. And it's all one big clan and she's kind of part of that clan and she chose wow. to aggravate those people. Um, okay. There's, so yeah, as you were saying, there is some like reasoning behind the wall other than just the personal relationship. Of- yeah. Yeah. And then of course, like you said, like for, for my own sanity, like she, I, I had to stop communicating with her and block her um, from all types of media and all platforms and um, all devices because, you know, she, she just says the most unkind things. Like when I thought it was nice to let her know that I was pregnant, I was going to have my first child. The first thing she told me was, you're going to get fat. Oh, wow. Like that, that's who she is. Like yeah. her, her vanity is beyond just like the cuteness of like a Grey Gardens lifestyle. Like that's the great gardens lifestyle is very much a part of her, but there is really a part of her not that's not just sinister, but it's just so cruel. Um, and there's, you know, or when my brother, um, married a Zimbabwean British, um, woman and, you know, as well thought it might be nice for our mother to know that I'm marrying this woman and we're going to have a baby. The first thing she said was, you're going to have a really dark child. Like colorism and racism lives in my mother's bones. And that was something that I saw. I thought, no, like we, we cannot tolerate this. We cannot live with this. This is not something that, has to be a part of our daily life. This doesn't have to be part of our vocabulary um, as a small family. And I I had to put up that boundary very, very early on. I grew up with those words, those very hurtful words, and I did not want it to be passed on to the next generation. 
Um, so, th- so there's that. And then there's, you know, the harder parts when, um, like, for example, any holiday is hard. Um, any kind of school event where there's like Grandparents Day, for example. Yeah, we have that at my school, Grandparents yeah, Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, here's a s- case of spindrift for you to take to your teachers, you know, and a card. Um, or draw your family tree. That's always complicated. I'm like, well, get a, I don't know, get a four foot by four foot piece of paper and let's get started. (laughs) This might take a while. So grab a coffee. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's, that's always hard. Um, Mother's Day. Yeah. It's difficult. Um, My mother's birthday. Um, which coincides with one of my best friend's birthdays. And so it's, it's, there are, there are seasonal reminders of the hurt, um, that comes with a very wise choice, I think. Um, but I, I, I will say that making the decision to estrange myself from my mother and in some ways, you know, estrange myself from my father allowed me to do the same in other areas of my life that were not healthy. Like when I was able to tackle like the big monster, it was easier to say no to unhealthy relationships, like uh, to um, toxic work environments, to just really anything that did not feel like a resounding yes. Um, yeah, I guess even as simple as like, oh, this thing that's happening on a Friday night and I just want to stay home with my kid and my family, right? Like Exactly. There's like those little decisions are yeah, you you've, yeah. you've made you did the hard you did the really hard decision that is kind of like yeah, has opened up the gates for these other decisions. Yeah, I very 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 seldom if ever have FOMO. <laughs> yeah. Like I I just learned this while on vacation over Thanksgiving. Um jomo like joy of missing out like i think (laughs) that is actually my mantra like that that is me like i am joyful to miss that's probably how i am too actually i've never heard that phrase before but i'm like yeah i'm definitely more that's more of my i'm okay Uh just hanging out at home and having a night to recharge and it's fine (laughs) exactly so i think like for example last night like should we go to this holiday party or should I watch the holiday season of Great British Bake Off? Yeah. B is the yeah. answer. <laughs> yeah, I was so happy this, like, with a glass of wine and watching way too many episodes of the same show. Um, but yeah, I think. But it's like it's, it's all kind of this. It's 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 that seems to me this bigger theme of just like taking care of yourself, right? That mm-hmm. that at the end of the day, you had to make this really big decision of a way to take care of yourself and how that then like trickles down to these other decisions that are helping you in your life. Yes. I think that's, that's what it is. And even the love of objects, the love of things, it's been redefined as also taking care of myself. Like the things I love, I also do love much, but they also love me back in ways that, you know, only they can, only these things can. I, while my mother amassed, really ostentatious ornamental things i own a lot of skincare um (laughs) and i own way too many like smoothie mixes 
<laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, it's it's come around to almost like doing the things that my parents did, but doing them in ways that are healthy and that are truly loving and that don't harm my, myself or others. And and I think that really is like the the best gift I can give them. I can give my parents is, hey, look, I took from you um, the best of you and the worst of you and made it something good for me um, and good for my daughter. Um, so, so that, yeah, so that's, that's, that to me gives me peace as I think of their end of life stages. And also as I look toward the second half of my life as my elder millennial life. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for inviting me um, to do this. This was so fun. If people want to find out more about what you do, where can they go to do that? Uh, the best place is sinelbarnes.com, C-I-N-E-L-L-E-B-A-R-N-E-S.com. Um, and actually, for the foreseeable future, all my books are um, discounted um, from their publishers. So that's a good thing. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks so much again for sharing. Thank you so much, Brian. This is how we love. This is how we fight for something that's right. Love Hurts is produced, hosted, and edited by Brian Berlin. Theme music by Mickey Hommel. Show art by Caroline Mallon. You can find Love Hurts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, and tell a friend about it. You can find Love Hurts on Twitter and Instagram at lovehurtspod, and our website is lovehurtspod.com. I'm Brian Berlin, and this is Love Hurts. Love Hurts.